Uh, we're going to be speaking out of Luke chapter 17, if you would like to turn there, either on your phone or uh, in your Bible. If you don't, didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in front of you. Or if you like your neighbor's Bible better than yours, just borrow it. Uh, that should work. Now, this is, the, this is the time of year. Before I go on, I want to thank uh, Reverend Burt for uh, speaking last week. I heard he knocked it out of the park. And he told me, I said, I heard you hit a home run. He says, no, I think I got on first base. And I said, well, I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, so we'll both be on there. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, not looking back. Not looking back. Uh, we're in that part of the holiday season, and I don't know about you, but I am fairly excited. Actually, I'm not fairly excited. I am really excited that the holiday season is over. Whew. It's been busy, but it's been fun. And, and, but this is the time of year where, where we kind of look back. We look back at the previous year and we wax nostalgic and we say, oh, I remember those things. I remember, you know, it was in 1788 that Robert Burns, the Scottish poet, wrote uh, a poem which we turned into a song, uh, Old Lang Syne. And, 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 and we sing it and we look at it and we say, oh, this is what we did last year and we reflect on it and and, and we look at it, and, and there's some reasons why we do, because people like to look back, because it gives us an opportunity to bask in the afterglow of great things. I mean, I had a, a granddaughter born this year, which was really great, and she's at my house, and uh, she was supposed to be here, but when you have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a six-month-old, they don't always cooperate with you. So, uh, but I, I, I'm able to uh, look back and say, wow, that is amazing. I love that. There's a lot of good things that have happened throughout the year. Looking back can offer you some insight and perspective because they say hindsight is 20-20. So you look back and you say, man, I really liked what happened here or I liked what happened there. It also helps you avoid some of the conflicts that you may have encountered throughout the year. Uh, if, you know, if you had something difficult that you went through, you may decide that I don't want to do that again because it helps us to remember what works and what doesn't work. That's why, that's why we look back. And I, I want to talk to you about a time in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus looks back. Now, he looks back by looking ahead. You and I can't do that. Here's Jesus and the Pharisees, some Pharisees, some religious leaders had asked Jesus, he said, well, what about the coming kingdom? What's it going to look like? And, and how are we going to prepare for it? And, and Jesus begins to think about his return in establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And as he looks ahead, he looks back. It's a fantastic, amazing passage of scripture. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, would you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord? In honor of the, the word of God, we're going to begin reading Luke 17, verse 26. 
Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, could you have picked a more positive message for the first Sunday of the, of the year? It gets better. And it was in the same as the same days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Uh, you may be seated if you would. I, I really find this passage of Scripture amazing. Because here's Jesus, and, and he's looking about, and they're asking him about future events. And as he's thinking about future events and knows what's going to happen, he gives one command. And it's really an amazing command. And, and it's something that you normally wouldn't see or you wouldn't think that, that you would see, because Jesus is ruminating over the things of the past, and, and Jesus knows the future events as, as they've already happened, and, and Jesus thoughtfully articulates future events and gives us a warning, a command. It's interesting that, that Jesus didn't say, remember Noah's obedience. He didn't say, remember Abraham's faithfulness. But Jesus, in all of the things that Jesus could have spoken, he says three simple words. Remember Lot's wife. That's an interesting command, I, I think. Why? Why a warning and why... What's life? Why, why didn't Jesus uh, use somebody else that had followed him, that had pursued him, that was diligent, that was a, a, a positive role model for those believers that were before him? Why not use someone else except Lot's wife? Why not warn others of the other circumstances of the last days and because we assume that 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 christ would use somebody else but jesus looked at those believers he he looked at the times that were going to come he knew what they were going to face he knew what you and i were going to face in this coming year and he looked and he said remember lot's wife i want you to think about that for a moment it's a warning because all the events that will arise in the last days, this one characteristic can affect Christ followers more than anything else. Remember Lot's wife. 
Most indicators of Christ's return in, in Scripture focus on the, the acts of the ungodly. But here we find something that Jesus looks at his followers, those that have given their lives to follow him, those that have dedicated, those that have bowed the knee and confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that have picked up their cross and are following him. Jesus looks at those, he looks at us and says, remember Lot's wife. Remember, what did, what did Lot's wife do that was so profound that we need our King, our Lord, to remind us, to engage us, to command us to remember what she did? This one warning is to God's people. This one warning is to you and I. This one warning, if left unheeded, can make us and affect us and render us ineffective in service to God. It's a simple yet haunting statement. Remember Lot's wife. Let me ask you, what was her crime? And what horrendous act did she commit that Jesus would use her as his only warning to identify and, and and pursue and remind his followers, don't be like her. Remember Lot's wife. Before I go on and, and we look at that, I, I want to, to say that I believe this is going to be in an amazing year. I believe 2020 is going to be an incredible year. It's also going to be a year where the Lord is going to require of us to dig deep. And to push on and to stretch ourselves and to follow after him. It's a time when, when you look around in our world, and, and uh, you know me well enough now, I, you know I'm not political. I pray for those that are in leadership and I move on because uh, I always vote against somebody. I never vote for anybody. And I think you're probably the same way. But God never told us, Christ never spoke to us and said, bicker and complain about who's in leadership. He said, pray for those that are in authority over you, that you may live a quiet and peaceful life. So, so pray, and pray hard, and pray a lot. But we live in a time that's so divisive, and, and we live in a time that's so full of turmoil, and we live in a time that is so affluent that in our world that it is so easy to get carried away with the things of this world and lose sight and lose track of what we're really here for and if I could remind you of anything if if Christ was reminding his followers of anything that day and, and if Christ was here I believe he would remind us today remember Lot's wife remember what she did remember what it cost her this one thing look back well what did she do Scripture tells us in, in Genesis that in Genesis 19 that, that Lot and his, and his two daughters and his wife uh, were led out of, out of Sodom by two angels. And as they were leaving, the angel said, don't look back. Don't look back. And, and it's, it's interesting to look at, at the passage of Scripture and, and we look at it and we say, well, she must have 
done something horrendous. She must have had some type of sin in her life that God would just really get her. And, and Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say anything about Lot's wife being a, a sinful person. It just simply says she looked back. And so we look at the text and we ask ourselves, what does it mean to look back? Did she do a casual glance over her shoulder and God said, ha, I got you. That's not the God we serve. He doesn't, he doesn't penalize you just by casually looking over her shoulder. So what, what does it mean that Lot's wife looked back? Was it a casual glance? Was it a turnaround and staring and longing? Or was it as the text insinuates that she not only turned back, but went back? Because after all, how did they know that she was a pillar of salt? If they didn't look back, would they back up? Wow, she's a pillar of salt. It's important to understand that, that Lot's wife, what Jesus is trying to help us understand today is, is Lot's wife looked back. She had a desire in her heart to go back to where she came from. And what does it mean to, to want that, to go back to where she was? She, was? she was desirous of the things that she had before. Lot's wife was attached to her present life and she could not look forward to the future plans of God. See, you have to realize that everything that she knew and every comfort that she had was in Sodom. And here's the truth, that, and I believe this is what Christ was trying to tell his followers then and what Christ is trying to tell us now there is a reality among believers that we be, can become so attached to our lifestyles that we fail to hear and obey the command of God. It's not the things that we do, but it's the love of those things that we do that keeps our eyes off of what Christ really has commanded us. That's why Jesus spoke about not being able to serve two masters. You can only serve one at a time. You can only serve, if you, if you serve in the Lord, you will not serve uh, the devil. You will not serve mammon. You will not serve the things of this world. But if you're where your heart is, there's where your treasure will be. And where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. And, and what the scripture was trying to help us and what, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that you have to have a desire, a passion, and a drive to move ahead for the things of God. That's why the writer of Hebrews points out that the victorious ones are the ones that lay aside every weight and sin that, that besets us, and they run the race with patience. And what race are we talking about? We're talking about this race we call life. We're talking about living day to day with our eyes focused on Christ, that that we realize that this world is no longer our home, that, that the cares of this life are, are only for a moment, that the joys of this life are temporal, but the glory and the majesty of the Lord are eternal, and he, they, he has laid up for us 
treasures in heaven. It's up to us, not up to Christ, not up to the Father, not up to your neighbor, not up to your mom, not up to your dad. It's up to you and you alone to realize that I'm going to lay aside every weight and I'm going to allow Christ to forgive me and pardon me and I'm going to walk away from the sins of this life and I am going to pursue him with a passion. Man, when we do that, that's what Paul, that's why Christ, when he looked back, he said, remember Lot's wife. Remember what she did. You say, well, what did she really do? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I looked at her. I know what she did. As soon as I get there, I will tell you what she did. Very first thing, here, here's the first reason I believe that, that she decided to go back things that we need to guard against, things that Christ is reminding us when we say remember Lot's wife, that the very first thing we need to focus on is the pleasures of life. I don't know about you, but life can be good. I'm going to say that again. Life can be good. Life can be great. Life can be wonderful. I really like basketball. I won't say love because, but I really like it a lot. It's like right there on the border. And I'm going to confess to you that there has been times in the past where I've been watching a basketball game, could be in March, And there's nothing wrong with basketball. I can find all kinds of things in there that I can preach on about basketball. But I remember one day in particular, I'm watching a game, and I really have a vested interest in this. Why? Because I like the team. Keep in mind, nobody on the team knows who I am. But I like them. I root for them. I cheer for them. And right when I'm getting ready to really watch this game... I feel that tug of the Lord to go pray. You ever have him do that to you? And I did what every God-fearing, loving, Christ-loving, passionate follower of God does. I made excuses why I couldn't go pray until after the game was over. And you say, well, well, that, that happens to all of us. Yeah, it does happen to all of us. But uh, here's, here's the thing that, uh, that really gets me. I remember one time in particular I needed to pray, and I chose not to pray because I was so focused on watching a game, a bunch of guys that don't know even know that I even exist, and I was rooting and cheering, and the whole time that when the Lord was speaking to me to pray, a good friend of mine was going through a serious, difficult situation and perhaps just perhaps that the Lord was calling me to to take time to pray and I didn't pray and I became ineffective in the kingdom of God because I put the pleasures of what I wanted to do over the things that God had asked me to do and perhaps that's why Lot's wife decided to look back because everything that she knew that was pleasant and good 
in this life is back there. And the good news is we don't have to have our hearts captured by the things of this world. 2 Timothy 2.4, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to, to please his commanding officer. And, and I, would, I would encourage you, as, as I would encourage myself, is to, to remember the fact that, that the things that God has called us to are far more significant than the, than the things of this world. And no matter how pleasurable the things in this life are, and, and they don't even have to be wrong, but if God calls you to prayer, if God calls you to speak to your neighbor, if God asks you to do something, let's sacrifice our time. Let's sacrifice what God is asking us to do, and let's roll up our sleeves and be about the Father's business. Second thing I think that, that possibly that she had issues with is, is the relationships. In Genesis 19, 14, we know that that they had friends and, and family members there in Sodom. And, and I can't imagine what it would be like to be moving toward another place, uh, Zoar. And, and as they're moving there, they hear the screams of, of those that are behind them and the torment that is behind them. And knowing that it was family and friends, can I ask you, what would you do? If you're following what God wants you to do and people that you know and people that you love and people that you have grown up with are behind you. Perhaps she went back. But here's the truth of it. Jesus said, unless you're willing to leave mother and father and, and follow me, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. There has to be something within each and every one of us, a made-up mind that says no matter who follows, I'm going to. If my, if, if my friends don't follow me, uh, follow Christ, I'm still going to follow him. If, if I keep praying and pursuing for my family and they're not going to follow him, I'm still going to follow him. Somewhere in us, there has to be a made-up mind that no matter who goes with us, I'm going to follow Christ. No matter how many people decide that they're not going to live for Christ, I will live for Christ. And you say, well, how does that help you? A made-up mind, when you know that you know that you know that you are going to follow Christ, nothing will deter you. So the pleasure of this, of this life, relationships in this world can keep us from, from following after, after Christ. And the other things that, that can get us is, is uh, comparing perhaps that she, she knew where she was going and the, and the angel had told him, I want you to go to this place and this, this place that they, they were going, this town that they were going, Zoar, it simply means insignificant. She was going. The will of God was for her to leave one place that was full and plentiful to go to a place that was insignificant in the eyes of most. Can I ask you a question? What is God asking you to do? I'm, I'm going to quit preaching and start meddling a little bit here. 
spiritual gift. I like to use it a lot. What is God asking you to do? And does it feel like he's asking you to leave a place of comfort to go to a place that's not going to be that comfortable? Is he asking you to stretch yourself? Is he asking you to pursue something that, that it looks like it's going to be just not as good? I know when, when Solomon's temple was rebuilt, some of the older guys that had been in captivity for 70 years came back and they saw the foundation laid and they started crying. Scripture doesn't say why they were crying. They were, I don't know if they were crying because they were comparing it to the old one or, or they were looking at it and saying, oh, we're going to have a temple again. But the younger ones that never knew the old temple rejoiced. You know, sometimes we can compare what used to happen or what did happen years ago to what God is asking us to do today. And then you say, well, I liked it when God did this. I don't know if I like it when God is doing that. I liked it when God had me here. I don't know if I like it when God has me there. I liked it when, when my ministry was really in a nice little package and I knew everybody and everything was great over here. But now God is saying, I want you to launch out into a new ministry and I want you to reach those that don't know me. What is God asking you to do? Don't allow what you used to do to determine what you're doing today. Don't ask what God, don't, don't compare what God had you do yesterday to what God is calling you to do today. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for the perfect condition, you will never get anything done. Don't wait. If God's asking you to do something, do it. And do it with all your heart. The last thing is simply this. Discourage her. Maybe she just got tired. Maybe she just got tired of, of waiting. You, you, ever, you ever get tired of waiting on the Lord? Can I... Can I can I pastor a little bit? If you're visiting with us, please uh, join in. Because I know a lot of the circumstances that you guys are facing this year. What you faced last year. What you're looking toward this year. Some things are really great and others are challenging. And the greatest that the adversary is going to try to use against you is discouragement. He's trying to get you to disbelieve in the things of God, to not trust in God's promises, to rely upon your own fear and not on the faith that comes through trusting in the word of God. Can I remind you that the adversary of your soul is a liar and he is the father of lies. And if God has promised you good things, then God is going to keep on giving you 
good things. And it may not happen in the timing that you would like. It may not happen on the day that you desire. But God is faithful and true. And and maybe we're going to be like Job where he says, I don't know if God is going to heal me in this life, but I do know this. In this flesh, I shall see God. Maybe you were like the three Hebrew children where we say, well, God, save us from the fire. But even if you don't, I will not bow my knee to the things of this world. Somewhere in us, if we want to see the victory of God in our life, this year, right now, today, let's make up our minds that we are going to follow Him. We are going to passionately pursue Him. We're going to lay aside the things of this world that are hindering us. And we will be the children of God that He has called us to be. We will walk in the path that He has chosen for us. That we will choose Him. That we will choose His ways. And though it may not be the path that I would choose, I will pick up my cross and follow Him. But I will promise you this, great things are in store for those that keep their mind stayed on Him. So I don't know what God is going to do, but I do know this, He will provide in His time. Greg, Tammy, I keep coming back to you. I keep seeing you. And I keep hearing the Lord say, you'll get there. Trust in Him. You're going to get there. I look and I know the issues that you're facing in life. And I just want to encourage you, hold on to that nail-scarred hand. Because He will not let you down. Here we are. I'm going to ask our our praise team to come. We're we're here and we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper and the Lord's table. The bread and and the wine which represent the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. The body broken for us and the blood shed for us. That that we could have eternal life. That we could be here today and enjoy the privilege of being called the children of the living God. That we are here today pardoned from our sins and our transgressions. That we can boldly go into the very presence of the living God. That that we can serve Him and that we can not only serve Him and know Him, but He knows us and calls us by name. And none of that, that that middle wall of partition, that wall that separated us from our our creator, the God of the heavens and the earth, that same one that created everything that we know, created us, that one that we were separated from, from sin, Christ made it possible because he paid the penalty for us. And here we are, and, and, and as we come to this table, and, and, and we are commanded in Scripture to do this in remembrance of what he did. That we didn't do it on our own. As my father-in-law used to say, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing, he didn't get there by himself. you're pardoned and you're cleansed and you are a child of God, 
You didn't get there on your own. A little over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was led through the streets and mocked. And with a mock trial and a crown of thorns on his head and was placed on a cross and died for us. Took our place. And we're here today, the children of God, because of what he did. And I want to use the Lord's table as a time of consecration for all of us. A time where you and I can look back and reflect on all that God has done for us. And perhaps, just perhaps, that today, right now, not, not tonight, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but right now, today, feel this in the presence of God. That if there is a habit that is haunting you, that you have tried and it has a hold on you, I want you to give it to the Lord today. If there's something that's been holding you back from pursuing Him the way you really want, in your heart of hearts, that this is, the, this is what I really believe God has called me to do, but the things of this world keep getting in my way. Today, can we say, today, not tomorrow, but right now, Lord, as we remember what you did for us, we give our life to you right now. Our fear, our doubt of, of wondering when and how and why you're going to do something. Today we lay it at your feet and we say, my life is yours to do as you will.